right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson. Along with me, as always, is Nick Springer. Hey. And on today's edition of the show, we're talking plenty more KU football. We have our uh, KU football notebook today. We also have our Heroes and Villains segment coming up later in the show. We'll get some more Lance Leipold audio on the show. Uh, We've got our NFL Week 4 recap, Big 12 breakdown, Matt Tate at 340, Kevin Flaherty at 440. So uh, plenty going on on today's edition of the show, which we are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. Let's dive into our KU Texas Notebook, Week 5 for uh, the KU football team in the Notebook. Let's start on the offensive end with everything uh, we start with. You know, in, in looking back to the game, it's not just that there were and are the noticeable differences between Jalen Daniels to Jason Bean, to which I still do believe you can be a competent team and be a competitive team and win football games with Jason Bean at the quarterback. Obviously, there is a difference between the Big 12 Player of the Year and Jason Bean, but it's not just that there was that gap of the difference. It's that this was also a bad Jason Bean game. It was not a good Jason Bean game, but uh, I again, his I think worst QBR in a game since 2021. I think, given the circumstances, uh, he was he was doing all he could out there. I think. I mean, he said in the post game after the game that he got notice of he was going to start le- basically less than an hour before the game. Lance Leipold talked about maybe a little bit of lack of reps for him. And I will say, uh, well, okay, so quarterback is obviously different, but if that were the situation at any other position, do you think it would matter? What do you mean? That you got announced the starter an hour before the game as opposed to the week before? Um, it shouldn't. I think if you're on the if you're on the O line, yes. If you are you're still running rep, back, you're still practicing wide receiver, to be a starter. If you like are, when you're a fifth or sixth year veteran, that that I don't know. The more I've thought about it, that kind of excuse goes a little more on deaf ears for me. You think so? Yeah, because it's like you're supposed to prepare. The reason like why the reason why I. I think it matters in this case is because Jalen Daniels and Jason Bean have different strengths. And so whatever game plan was being put together by the offense was not contoured to whatever Jason Bean does well, I would say. That's where I think it matters in this case is is because if you just had a crappier version of Jalen Daniels as your backup quarterback, but somebody who had the same skill set and did a lot of the same stuff really well, maybe it doesn't matter that much. But because Jason Bean, I think, has – definitely some different strengths and, and plays a different style than what Jalen Daniels does. If you're Andy Kolnicki, and again, I, I really am starting to believe this more and more, that Andy Kolnicki, what, part of what makes him and the offense really, really good at what they do, and part of the reason why he always claims he wants to be the most stressful offense in the country to, to go up against is, I think a lot of that has to do with game plan. I think a lot of that has to do with you know scheming throughout the week. And so when you have a guy who, again, is a different skill set as Jalen Daniels, that last second has to start, 
I'm assuming Andy Kulnicki probably had to wad up and throw away most of his game plan of whatever he wanted to do with Jalen Daniels as, as a starter. Yeah, so I, I think Jason Mean is a solid player. I think he had a bad game. That's one thing I will say. Like, sometimes players can have a bad performance but or a bad game. can you blame him for having a bad game? Players. Uh, well, yes, there are a lot of external factors that lead to that. You're on the I road mean, against Texas the top is three really opponent, player, probably the really best, probably the best team I in the country that. at this point. I get point. that. Like, but there's still little things in the game where it's like, yes, maybe it wouldn't have mattered here or there. Maybe uh, if you deliver a slightly better pass here, it might, might not matter. There are certain things where it absolutely did, though. With whether you're talking about certain plays where. Maybe you see him running and just going to the sideline as opposed to going forward trying to get the first down. Uh, the plays where you misread the option and it directly leads to a not converting a fourth down. I mean, if you go back, this is Jason Bean by completion percentage. In the games that he has started, that was Jason Bean's second worst game by completion percentage through his entire KU career. The only game that was worse was the at Oklahoma State game in uh, on October 30th of 2021 when he went 3 of 10. And that is also, there's only two Jason Bean games in his KU career that he's had a worse QBR than he did against Texas, which QBR takes into account your stats, how you do, takes into account how you did on like third downs, for instance. Like, for instance, if you have a seven yard pass on third down and 10, it's not going to be graded as well as a seven yard pass on first and 10 or on third and three, right? Um, so you have to go back. That Oklahoma State game, he had a 1.1 QBR. The Texas Tech game on homecoming, in that 2021 season, he had a 10.9. He only had a 17 QBR in this game against Texas. That was his third worst of his KU career. So, again, I, I, I'm i not trying to I, – I know this is like I'm, I'm heaping on Jason Bean, and maybe I am a little bit. I'm not trying to make it that way. I'm just trying to say that I don't think it was a good game. And I think it was the difference of not only is there what Jalen Daniels is to what Jason Bean is – when you have a bad Jason Bean game on top of that, the gap gets even wider. And I think you saw some of the results of that in a game where you went 0 for 10 on third and fourth down combined when you failed to score a fourth quarter point when you only scored 14 points total as an offense. Now, to your point on the preparation stuff and playing easier opponents, do I expect Jason Bean to play better this week partially because of those things? Yeah, absolutely. Do I expect Jason Bean to be a competent enough quarterback for you to win some games for however many games he starts? Yeah, absolutely. I'll just put it this way. The Texas game does not change my opinion of Jason Bean at all. doesn't change my opinion at all. I think he's still a quality back quarterback, still a guy that can lead you to some victories. He was put in a tough situation, in a situation that he wasn't expected to be in. Now, again, maybe the veteran aspect of that, maybe he should have reacted better, I guess. I don't know, but I, I don't hold anything that happened from that game against him, really. I mean, it's a tough spot to be in. It's a tough spot to be in. He has... Different strengths, I think, compared to Jalen Daniels. The the option game is is certainly an area where he's not as strong when it comes to reading a defense. Obviously, we've heard from KU coaches that Jalen Daniels has maybe the best running vision of any quarterback they've ever seen. Obviously, Jalen Jason Bean does not have that. Uh, you know, the decision making not totally a hundred percent there. But again, my my opinion doesn't really change, and and I guess. Maybe the reason for the extra frustration with Jason Bean is just the fact that despite how the game played out, it was a one-possession game in the fourth quarter. And so I, I think maybe in the in the minds of KU fans, when you see that, you think, well, hell, if it was a one-possession game in the fourth quarter with Jalen Daniels, KU wins the game, maybe. So, I, I, I mean, I get it, man. But I just my opinion doesn't change. I think, I think Jason Bean's still a very, very fine quarterback. I think he'll be all right. Uh, I don't 
I don't love piling on him because I think he was put in a tough situation, but I, I get it, I guess. But at the same time, I really don't. I, I think I, I don't think you can really ask for Jason Bean to go out there and on 45 minutes notice put on a great game against probably the best team in the country, potentially. So it, it is what it is. This is a game that uh, it's funny because I think going into I mean going into the season we all everyone picked KU to lose this game against Texas. And yet, throughout the week, you're 4-0. Jalen Daniels has been playing well. You start to convince yourself, okay, you can win this game. You can go absolutely go on the road and win this game. And then you get slapped with Jalen Daniels news an hour before kick. And, uh, you know, maybe there's just not a mindset shift there. But, I mean, you and I both picked KU to lose this game against Texas. Sure. So, KU is right exactly where we thought they were going to be. But I guess just because of the Jalen Daniels cloud and maybe that makes people feel a bit more down about it, but they're right where we thought they were going to be. Yeah, I see what you're saying. It is the Jalen Daniels thing um, because the way I viewed it is with Jalen Daniels, you gave yourself a shot in every game. Maybe the Texas game, you would give it the lowest shot. With Jason Mean, I really do view the difference now for, like, say, the Oklahoma and Kansas State games. I don't think you would win those games. Like, I I don't really go into those games thinking that same way. Maybe that's being too harsh. I don't know. Uh, By the way, KU Loki averaged five yards running per game. So I will say that has been one thing that has carried over each and every week. Something I wanted to bring up, uh, and this is not related to Jason Bean. It it felt to me as if KU had some things that were kind of working early in the game, and they didn't really go back to them at all. Devin Neal and Daniel Highshaw both only had eight carries. Listen, if you've got a backup quarterback that is starting on literally no notice, basically, within an hour of the game, on the road against a top opponent, and but yet you have two electric running backs, why would you not try to run the ball a little bit more? I mean, it was working. Both J- both Devin Neal and Daniel Highshaw averaged over five yards a carry in the game. And it was working early in the game. They had multiple runs early in the game that got quite a bit of yards, and it, it, it felt like they kind of went away from that. And it's not like they were getting blown. I mean, again, it was one possession yeah. game. You could have you could have easily kept I, trying I do to run the ball. I think it's tough because it's it's going to be hard just inherently to have I mean, I a get lot it. of rushes if you're, you're not, not staying on the field. What did they have? What did you say it was? Seven straight drives where they didn't have a first down. I mean, they didn't get a first down between the, like the end of the first quarter and like the fourth. Yeah, quarter. it's going to be hard to run the ball consistently if you're doing that. You know, it's going to be I hard. Mean, I get it. I don't know. I just I thought that maybe there was some maybe there were some things that was working that worked in the first couple drives of the game that KU did not really go back to. But on the flip side of that, like against a against a defense as talented as Texas, if you line up and just say we're going to run HP dive every play, they're going to key in on that and probably sure. shut you down. <laughs> so I, I get it, uh, but I just I don't know. It felt like the, it felt like they kind of went away from from some of the things that that worked for them early in the game and. And, you know, Andy Kolnicki, I know, is a very, very smart coach and probably has the ability to to work on the fly pretty well. But, yeah, it just, it just didn't come together. And I, I think it's just one of those games, man. I think Lance Leipold said it pretty well, actually, uh, yesterday when he talked to the media that it, it, the offense just – it never felt like they even got started. It never felt like they even had a chance to get started. Uh, and games like that, sometimes they happen. And, obviously, they're very, very frustrating. But, but yeah, KU's ground game in – the times that they were allowed to utilize a little bit looked pretty good. And listen, I, I mentioned this yesterday, but even though KU was 0 for 8 on third down, they weren't. They were still managing to get into third down and not very long. I mean, they had multiple third and fives, third and sixes. They were still actually managing to get into decent third down situations. They just didn't convert any. And I guess maybe that's where you see the gap between 
a guy like Jalen Daniels and a guy like Jason Bean. But uh, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't really feel any different. I mean, like I said, I think the most frustrating part about this is now, from an offensive standpoint, if you want to play the the cat and mouse game of well, is Jalen going to start? Is Jalen? You know, what's his status going to be? How many practices can he get? I think that just really bogs down everything relating to the offense in terms of preparing for your next game. And I guess we'll see how that plays out this weekend. I mean, I think I think you and I both agree that Jason Bean's probably going to start at least one of these next two games. Maybe both. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, with, with the Jalen Daniels situation, it's I don't know how you can't kind of take a more pessimistic view now because it feels like it could literally be any second where he's not available, which is very frustrating, obviously. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the defensive side of the ball. I think good job bending but not breaking on some occasions. Overall, you still gave up 660 yards. It very easily, if Texas hits, you know, one or two of the field goals, if they don't throw an interception at your own end, if they have better success in the red zone on some of the drives, they easily could have put up 50 or 60. You do get credit for holding them in that way. Um, Now, that's not something that maybe is overly sustainable long term, but Again, it is uh, kind of a different bear, a different monster for the Texas game. Uh, the run defense was bleh. The, the third and long defense was bleh. The, the stopping the quarterback running game was bleh. But, yeah, the the defense of, of holding, the, the bending not breaking, the pass rush being solid, there were at least some things to take away from the defense that, I mean, obviously put in a tough spot anytime your offense is consistently getting three and outs. It was like 95 degrees. You get tired. 80, yeah, they ran – Texas ran 86 plays, and – I said it yesterday, and I still believe it. I, I think the defense played about as great of a game as you could ask for them, given how things unfolded throughout the game. I mean, they they managed. Did, did you get a little bit lucky? Sure. But did you make plays when you needed to make them? Yes. Big interception by Cornell Wheeler on a great play, reading the quarterback's eyes of, of, of Quinn Ewers towards the end of the first half. You forced him in a couple of field goal situations, which we had talked about last week, that maybe that's one of the areas where KU did have an advantage. That played out in KU's favor with a couple of misses by Texas. And, I mean, I think you did as good of a job as you could ask to keep a lid on the Texas offense as long as you could. I mean, yeah, you give up 700 yards, but, I mean, who the hell cares if you give up, how many yards you give up if you win the game or if, you, if, you don't, if you're not giving up points? Uh, so, yeah, I think – and the, the big thing that stood out to me was the, was the pass rush. Quinn Ewers was hardly pressured at all coming into this game in the first four games of the season for Texas. And Kansas did a pretty good job of getting to him. Not necessarily sacking him, but just putting him under duress, and that played out where he he did have some plays where he looked a little uncomfortable, and it, it certainly affected the outcome of the play. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think K did as good a job as they could, and you know, this is just one of those games where there's still a talent gap, right? I mean, we talk about how Kansas has done a uh, a really really great job in the weight room, in the strength room, of getting their players up, you know, uh, of passing the eye test, right, of the Big Twelve eye test, but. There's, there's still a gap between Texas and Kansas. And the reality situation is there's a gap this season between Texas and probably every team in the Big 12 besides, like, Oklahoma in terms of talent. So that's not something to necessarily be down about or be sad about, but that's just the reality. Uh, so I really think the defense played really well, given the circumstances. I mean, I think the only area where they clearly struggled throughout the whole game Besides the with the run game, they actually did have some plays at times where they were able to slow them down a little bit. But then Brooks broke off a couple long runs. But where where they consistently struggled throughout the whole game was in pass coverage. Edna Mitchell and Xavier Worthy were open pretty much every play. 
Uh, so I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe if that makes you pump the brakes on Kobe Bryant and Melo Dotson, or if that makes you just maybe recognize how great those receivers are for Texas, I don't know. But I, I get the sense that we'll look back on this game against Texas when Texas is 12-0 and and just say, yeah, that, that was just how it was going to go. <laughs> that was just how it was going to go. I'm not, again, like in the same way you're more optimistic about Jason Bean. I, I was not. You you seem to be more optimistic about the defense than I was. Um, I, I Again, like I said, I do think there were a few things you did well. But, yeah, I'm not I'm not quite there. Uh, I will say, are you worried at all about the coverage guys? Because we, we viewed that to be a strength with Kobe Bryant and everything, and it didn't matter. All the coverage guys kind of got picked on in this game. I think – Is that just uh, Texas? Is that elite? Yes. I think Again, like I said, I think when, when, when Texas is 12-0 and and we look back on this game – I think it will just have to say those are the two best receivers. KU, like Texas has the two best receivers that KU is going to face all season on the same team. I mean, I think I think the KU offense or the KU defense will be fine going forward. Oklahoma doesn't really have that go-to guy like they have in the past. I mean, what other what other team has wide receivers that really scare you that KU has to face still this season? I just don't see it. I think I think the coverage guys will be fine. I think the way the way you can look at this Texas game as a big negative for for KU overall is is basically does it snowball, right? Does does a game like this rattle the confidence of of Kobe Bryant, of Melo Dotson, of KU's defense, even of the offense? Does, does it does it rattle them enough to where it bleeds over and, and affects them in other games? That's the biggest negative I think you could possibly take away from this game, which obviously we won't know exactly what that looks like until it plays out. And and obviously Lance Leipold's already gotten out in front of that. He's made a bunch of comments saying, you know, that we're trying to move on from it, you know, watch the film, own it, and then move on. We'll see how true that is or how well KU does at doing that because that, to me, is the biggest negative is, I mean, going into this UCF game, Kansas and, and UCF, it's a, it's a pretty evenly matched game, I would say, for the most part. But again, does what's, where's that confidence level for Kansas? Does Kansas still have that same flair that they had against Illinois, that same flair that they had against BYU, that, that carried them to win those games? That's the question going into UCF. Yes. All right, anything else special teams-wise or, or miscellaneous that uh, that stood out to you? Yeah, Damon Graves is him. He's he's <laughs> elite. He's awesome. I mean, for, for, free my man, but only free him a little bit. I mean, don't free him for seven punts or how many punts KU had. But, no, he was really good. And uh, I, I don't know what changed because you pointed out, you know, through the first couple games of the season when, and when he had punted, his net average was like the same as Reese Vernon's was last year, right? And it was like, okay, well, you brought in this guy to presumably be an upgrade, and he's not really been that. Well, now it's definitely shown to be that he is what is is an upgrade and, and did have a great game. But, again, you never want the bulletin board material coming out of a game to be, punter played great. <laughs> that's just not what you want. I mean, no. that's Dustin Colquitt 2010 Chiefs box. Yeah. No, that's not fun. But yeah, three of his six punts inside the 20. He had a good hang time on him and everything. I, I just thought overall special teams was an advantage. They missed two field goals. You had a good punting game. I don't know. It was, it was a slight advantage for you, which yes. uh, is all you're kind of asking for each and every game. Yes. Uh, I think game management-wise, there wasn't really anything I, I looked to either, like positive or negative. I actually did like the going for the fourth down at your own end at that point. It felt like... You know, we, we talked about this a little yesterday. You needed a lot of little things to kind of go your way, go your way to win a game like that, and some of them did early on in the game. Um, so you kind of had to make your own magic, make your own luck as the game went on, and you needed to convert that, especially with how much your uh, defense yeah. was on the field. So I, I mean, like the, the game to go for it. The game was over after you didn't get it, but it was probably going to be over if you punted and Texas went down and scored anyway. So. Mm -hmm. 
All right, that's our uh, notebook for week five of the KU football season against the Texas Longhorns. We're going to continue on with some more uh, KU football talk throughout the show. We've also got Matt Tate joining us in about 15 minutes. Coming up next, though, some news on Cooper Flagg, the number one recruit in basketball for the class of 2024. We'll get to that next. On the other side, you're listening to RCST on KLWN, depending on it. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. And uh, coming up, we'll have our NFL Week 4 recap and uh, plenty more KU football talk here on the show. Joined now by Matt Tate of R1S1Sports.com to break down a little KU football and uh, get us ready, I guess, a little bit too for late night the fog later this week. Uh, Matt, let's start with the Texas game. Do you, do you walk away with the KU-Texas game with more questions about KU or just thinking like Texas could be dominant and sometimes this is what happens? Um, yeah, good, good question. I, probably the latter. I think, I think that, you know, Texas is a really good football team. And, and I think if anything, you know, I, I wrote a sort of reaction story to that whole thing. And the subtitle of it was, you know, this isn't about moral victories. This is about facts. And the facts showed that KU competed with those guys and KU was very much in the game without their starting quarterback. I mean, you know, you can walk around and say, that's talking about moral victories and nobody cares about that stuff. And I know Lance doesn't care and the, and the players don't really care, but facts are facts and, and they should feel really good about that. Um, they got to figure out how to finish it. They got to figure out how to win those types of games um, because they've, they've figured out how to put themselves in those games. And so it's unfortunate. I think that the final score got away from them. I mean that, you know, that, that was definitely a lot closer than that score indicates, but at the same time, maybe that's, you know, one of those things that's that's good for them in the long run because they won't walk away feeling too good about themselves. And, um, you know, the, the way this culture set up at KU now, though, with KU football, I mean, they could have won that game. They could have lost it by 26 like they did, or they could have lost it by one. And, and I think the, the approach on Saturday night, Sunday morning, Monday, I think it, I think it would have been the same. I really do. I think their culture is so well established that they – they understand what needs to be done. You know, the, the highs are, are manageable, the lows are manageable, and, and they just keep moving forward. Of course, if they had won the game, they might have had a little bit of a party on the way home, but, you know, that's, uh, that, that's typically reserved for that type of thing after, after a win, and then, and then you get back to work. So, I, uh, you know, I, I don't really have too many more questions about Kansas coming out of that one other than, obviously, Jalen's status and health and future and all of that. But um, the rest, I think, I, I think there was a lot to like about the way KU played. And, and obviously there were a few areas where they still need to, you know, show some improvement and, and, and shore some things up. And if they do that, they'll, you know, they'll have a chance to win most of the games left on their schedule, which who's going to argue with that? Well, how much does not having Jalen Daniels, and, and we don't really know what the status of, of Jalen will be kind of moving forward week to week, let alone this week. Um, how much does that kind of change the way you view their win total output based on the dependability of, of Jalen and, and which games he will and won't be eligible for or, or available for? Yeah, it's pretty big for me. And, and I think it probably is for a lot of people. You know, there, there's there are plenty of people who, who believe Jason Bean is more than capable. There are plenty of people in that locker room who think that, that Jason Bean is more than capable, and they're right. But this is a different team with Jalen Daniels. Simply put, um, you know, he does things that Bean can't do. He brings 
uh, a confidence, a swagger, and an air to the team that, that Bean doesn't. And, you know, that's not a knock on Bean. Those guys love Bean, man. They, they really do. And Jalen loves Bean. And, and so this isn't about, you know, we like one guy better than the other or anything like that. It's just Jalen's your starting quarterback for a reason and, and, and really for quite a few reasons. And so for me, I, you know, I, I think with Bean, let, let, let's say Jalen doesn't play again, which I don't think is the case. I think, I, you know, we don't know, obviously, like you said, but I think with Bean, they, they can certainly find it, uh, two or three more wins. And um, I don't even know that that would be that hard to envision. So bowl eligibility is still very much a thing. With Jalen, though, I think they could still find four wins, five wins maybe, you know, and, and that's a pretty big difference, um, not only in your record, not only in your standing in the Big 12, but also what bowl you go to. So um, I, I think it is uh, I think it is a big factor for, for my line of thinking, and, and I would imagine it's, it's a big factor in the way that, that other teams prepare for Kansas, um, other, other, the way Kansas prepares itself, um, you know, all those things. Um, so, yeah, it's it, it's – it's going to be a huge story, man. Second year in a row that this is going to be, you know, until we know for sure, which I don't know that they're going to know for sure anytime soon. I mean, if, if this back injury is, is uh, if we've learned anything about it in the last couple of months, you know, this is something he was dealing with in August. And obviously throughout September, he missed two games. And, and um, you know, I, I don't think there's any magic wand that said it just goes away. So, I think this is probably something that will be a storyline the rest of the way. And it sucks for Jalen, um, and it sucks for the team. I mean, I, I, I really think they could have won that game if he played on Saturday. Um, doesn't mean they would have, but the way the rest of the team played uh, was good enough, especially through three quarters. And taking him out is, is a significant enough thing, not only from from the standpoint of, making plays, making throws, calling plays, things like that. But also from the standpoint of, you know, it's, what, 45 minutes before the game, and that's when Bean found out he's got to start. That's when the rest of the team found out they won't have their guy. I mean, like, they rallied pretty well, and, and you got to give them credit for being in that game while dealing with that kind of thing on the fly like that. But, man, that sucks. That's a heck of a blow to deal with, especially right before a game that that's so hyped and, and they were so excited about. I mean, Human nature says anybody that's pulled out at that time with, with you know, pickoff looming like that, any, any one of your starters comes out, it, it's, it's going to hit you. And so I, I think that probably was deflating and, and, you know, not necessarily immediately part of the reason they lost that game or any, any plays you can point to exactly to say, well, that, that's where it really hurt them. But, you know, I think just the vibe. That, that's been my whole thing with Jalen Daniels throughout his career. He's a vibe. He brings confidence to that to that roster. I mean, Jalen Daniels plays quarterback. He plays on offense, but he's still so charismatic that there there's a way that he brings confidence to the the third string D tackle. Like guys just believe in him and believe in that team just a little bit more when he's around and healthy and doing his thing and and feeling good and looking good and and you know, that's hard to replace. Talking with Matt Tate, R1S1Sports.com here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. So UCF is the opponent uh, this Saturday for KU football. What I, I guess how do you uh, or how difficult do you think this matchup could be for KU, and, and what do you think would be the most beneficial thing that they could show on Saturday to the future of you know the rest of the season after suffering their first loss? Yeah, well, UCF's got a really good offense, and, and 
they get up and down the field and they're athletic and and um, you know we don't know what their quarterback situation is exactly either. At least I haven't heard anything new today. Uh, I haven't paid a ton of attention, been busy, but you know they've got their own situation there um, as well. So I, I think for me the, the the biggest thing that KU could take away from this is is uh, you know their defense standing up. Like if regardless if Jalen plays or doesn't play or what what happens with the Kansas offense, if this defense can take the field and shut down UCF. Um, I, look, I think that's a really good sign, and I think that would be um, – I, I, don't, I don't know what you would call it exactly, but, but sort of a refreshing thing or sort of a relieving thing where it's like, okay, well, you know, we may have to play a little bit without Jalen, and we'll figure that out. But, man, our, our defense pretty damn good. Like, this thing can take us pretty far because that's been the whole question mark all season. That was the whole question mark all off season. Can this defense take another step? And and that was really going to be what what allowed Kansas to take another step. If the answer to that was yes, and and so far they've been really good. Um, they weren't great against Texas, but they were on the field the whole time. I mean, eighty six plays, uh, what forty minutes? I mean, that's in in a hundred degree heat. Like you know, no defense is going to hold up very well when when that's the case. So um, I, I think it's a big week for the defense to bounce back. And if they can control the game, um, it will remind them that what we saw those first four weeks was real and, and that this team has taken a step forward defensively. And, and if you can do that, again, I said this a minute ago, but, but if you can do that with your defense, you, you can win a lot of games. And so I, I think it would go a long way toward giving them confidence as an entire team, regardless of how the future goes with Jalen. On the defensive side, you look at the pass rush for KU, and it's been – Really good, I think, to start the season, and a lot better than maybe people expected. Did, did you expect that the D-line would be where it is now, maybe back in April, May, when Lonnie Phelps decided he was going to declare for the NFL draft and there was a lot of question marks? Did you think that, that, D, that the D-line could get to where they are now, back then? It, it, you know, of course I'm going to sound good by saying this, but in some ways, yes, man. I, I really liked the, the players they brought in. I really liked how Austin Booker looked on paper. I really liked how Devin Phillips looked on paper. I really liked how Gage Keys looked on paper. So the question there becomes, you know, can they deliver? Can, can, can they be what KU thought they were when they brought them in? And, and so far the answer is yes. They've, they've been great. All three of those guys have been really good. Um, and, and I'll tell you what, I, my favorite thing about this, this defensive line is the fact that Hayden Hatcher and Jeremy Robinson have looked so good because those are, those are holdovers. Those are long-time KU guys that have been through the grind and paid their dues and waited their turn and all that stuff, and, and this was their chance to get a real role, and both of them have, have answered the call on that. I mean, Robinson's been arguably their best defensive player, and, and Hatcher's just a, a, a physical, you know, never gives up, never shuts down that motor, just keeps going. Um, he's not perfect. Nobody is, but, but you know, he makes mistakes. But very, very, very rarely are the mistakes out of effort. I mean, the guy gives max effort all the time. So, um, I, you know, it, it, it doesn't shock me. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely a really good sign for the program that, that the D-line is something that we've been talking about as a strength of theirs um, because – whether you thought it could improve or not, you know, it would have it would have been hard for them not to improve somewhat. E- even losing a guy like Lonnie, you know, there's 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 plenty of space up there to to make some steps forward. And, and 
and put some improvement on the field and on film and all that stuff. And, and so, you know, they did that. Obviously, the pass rush and, and specifically that, that edge rusher has, has been a question mark. You know, was anybody going to be able to replace what Lonnie Phelps did? The question or the answer was, to that was, was usually going to be no. And, and we, we haven't seen anybody do that, but they've done it collectively. And, and, and I think they've been really good. So, you know, it, it's cool to see. And I think it was like the first day of camp or maybe even back in spring ball when, when, Brian Boylan, the defensive coordinator, said, you know, hey, we, what we've seen so far is, is from those new guys that we brought in made us feel good that we didn't miss on any of them. Like the guys that we brought in and the reason we brought them here, they've, they've followed through with that and, and they've shown that they can play at this level. And so it takes, you know, that step first and then you have to go do it in camp and then you have to go do it in, in real games against real opponents. And, and those guys have done it. So, um, Kudos to the coaching staff for, for addressing it and, and doing it in a positive way and, and really getting some good talent in here. And, and, and props to those guys for, for delivering, too. The, those guys have been great, man. Austin Booker's been phenomenal. Uh, I think Devin Phillips has looked great. Um, that's a good D-line. It's, 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 it's very good, but we got to see if they can hold up for, for the entire season. What are you going to be most on the watch for at uh, KU Basketball's Late Night in the Fog this upcoming Friday? Are you a big Flo Rida fan? Uh, no, but I'm not a, I'm not a hater. I'm not a hater. I, I, uh, you know, in, uh, 2015, we were talking about this the other day in 2015, when KU lost to Villanova in the elite eight in Louisville, uh, flow rider was the, the, you know, headliner at their power and light district. I can't remember what it's called. Something like live or something in downtown Louisville. And, and, and he, he, he rocked the entire block, man. He, he brought the house down out there. And, 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 of course, 2015 was eight years ago, so he was much more relevant, much more current than he may, it maybe is today. Um, so, you know, he'll, he'll put on a good show. He's high energy. He's obviously got some songs that people know and, and whatnot. And, and honestly, I mean, I, I didn't, it didn't even occur to me. I've, I've seen, you know, being up and down Fieldhouse plenty over the last few months, I, I've seen that the Fieldhouse was, you know, shut down for a little while and they were getting the new floor and all that, but I forgot that they were doing the new sound system and new lighting and all that. So um, I hate to say it, but that, that'll probably be as much as anything as, as what I'm most interested in seeing. Like, how does the sound sound? How does, how does the new lighting look? Like um, that's an old venue and, and they needed to update that. And, and if it, if it really pops, that'll be really cool. Um, and you know, having said that too, like, like I, I went to Puerto Rico, I saw these guys play. So, uh, I'm not dying to see one guy play or anything like that. I, I think it'll be fun though. I mean, it's, it's, you know, Flo Rider's a perfect pick, right? Like he's going to come in there. He's going to have fun. He's going to bring the energy and then, and then that's that. So, um, obviously the basketball part of it's the most important part and, and the most exciting part, but we've seen these guys and, and whether you were there like I was, or, or you watched it on the stream that they did. I mean, you, you've seen them play already. You know, you've seen what lobs from KJ Adams to Hunter Dickinson look like and, and vice versa. Um, and so I think Johnny Furphy will be fun to watch. That's, that's probably the number one player that I would, I would be excited about watching. And, and then, you know, to be completely honest, and this won't shock you guys at all, but I'm super excited to see the women too. Um, they've got a hell of a team and their expectations are as high as the men's expectations this year. And they should be. So, um, a lot of years, the the women's team is just sort of that afterthought at late night, right? Like, well, we got to do this. They got to be here too, and you know that's. I don't think that's going to feel like that this year. That you know they 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 made a lot of fans and, and some friends 
by making that run to the WNIT title, and, and I think they're going to walk out there feeling like they belong and, and, and trying to put on a show themselves so that maybe some fans will show up for their games on a regular basis, not just when they're in a tournament. So it should be a great night. It should be a lot of fun, and, and um, you know, I, it's, just, it's, just, uh, it's just a heck of a way to kick off basketball every year, and, and um, that's hard to believe that we're even talking about that. I mean, it it's, still feels like summer to me, but here we go. And I got a uh, trivia question for you. Do you know who led the late night in the fog men's basketball scrimmage in points last year? Uh, let's guess the men's team. Boy, trivia question. Oh, here I'll give. Is... I'll give you even like one hint. Um, Jalen Wilson had eight points. That was second on the team to whoever scored nine. Oh wow, nine KJ. The correct answer wasn't it. Uh, Do you know the answer? Yeah, it was one of the walk-ons, right? There's Michael Jankovic. Yeah. Michael Jankovic. Oh, I was actually three threes. Say him. <laughs> so there's your reason of why the scrimmage itself, probably not the be-all end-all, but also, I don't know, maybe watch out for a walk-on because uh, not a super deep team, so the walk-ons are going to have to be on the court for a good amount of time. So. I was going to say they've got like 14 of them, so yeah, right? they, they're, <laughs> you'll, you'll definitely need to take notes and, and mark down their jersey numbers and pay attention to who they are. A couple of them. Uh, they even look alike a little bit, so that that'll be even harder. So you know that's good. That's it's a good challenge for the fans too. And and if anything, based on what you just said too, like don't expect them to go that hard, man. Like you know, it's first of all, it's late night, and they never go that hard. And and obviously, self will tell you they never play defense. But yeah, they you know they're this team has enough, and they're going to be the preseason number one team in the country, and and they're going to be really good. But the one thing they can't probably afford is any kind of injury. So. Um, you know, you can't, you can't walk on eggshells and all that, but you, you do have to be careful. And the last thing you want to do is, is get somebody injured, you know, in a, in a late night scrimmage type of setting. So it wouldn't surprise me if they're about 60%, you know, and, and, uh, that's usually all they need anyway. And it'll still be a good show. And there'll be some dunks and there'll be some lobs and some people will hit some threes and they'll try to show off their range. And who knows, man, even Flo Rida might suit up. I don't, I haven't heard that, but you never know. You Bull never Drake. know with this, yeah. with this depth. Why not? Right. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what we're missing from late night, man. That is the one thing we haven't seen. Like we saw Snoop in the Jersey. We saw, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Two chains wore the jersey, you know, but like, let's see one of those guys. Who no, I, I think that's what play. we should do. Instead of it being, you know how we have the, the fan does the half-court shot to win Bill Self's money. I think it should be a random fan has to try to score on like K.J. Adams or something. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, yeah. The half-court the half court shot is, is a little bit played. Like, it's been done, right? So, right. Yeah. Let's let's yeah pull out some fan and just you know they can sign up ahead of time or whatever and just and let them go. Of course, again the thing you you risk there is, is some Joe Blow regular student injures somebody yeah, by stepping on his ankle and you know you can't afford that. So um, so it wouldn't surprise me if that's never going to happen. But I thought you were going to go with pull a random fan out. The random fan has to score on the musical artist. Oh, so which by the way, imagine last year it would have been possible. Oh yeah, you're screwed. Yeah, right, (laughs) right. Yeah, good luck. I didn't think about that. I forgot it was Shaq. But yeah, so imagine right, some fan from from Oskaloosa, Kansas, some sophomore 
uh, he, he's trying to shake Snoop. That, that'd be great, right? Like, and it, you know, Snoop had some games, so it probably wouldn't have probably wouldn't have worked. But you never know. But 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 I mean, we're talking about it. We keep talking about it. This has got to be a good idea. I mean, we're I, I've never known you guys to have a bad. Idea. <laughs> no, I, I haven't either. I haven't either. One. Well, Matt, all, all of Derek's yeah. ideas are bad. No, don't say no. Um, all right, well, Matt, I appreciate the time as always, man. R1S1Sports.com. Thank you, and uh, have a great rest of your week. All right, you guys do the same. Thanks, man. Enjoy it. All right, that's Matt Tate, R1S1Sports.com, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. Our NFL Week 4 recap next. Four o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We will have Kevin Flaherty join the show coming up here uh, later this hour at 440. We got our KU Football Heroes and Villains segment coming up in the five o'clock hour and some Lance Leipold audio as he met with the media ahead of this week's game against UCF earlier today. But right now it is time for our NFL Week 4 recap and uh, we go through, we have these different superlatives of what we pick for the NFL. First up is our biggest surprise. What to you is the biggest surprise of week four? There was a lot of surprises in week four. Mm-hmm. A lot of weird things happened. Dude, yep. the NFL is weird, man. Just weird stuff happens every week. Uh, the biggest surprise, I think, though, was to me... The Buffalo Bills blowing out the Dolphins. Right. It wasn't I mean, crazy to think the Bills could beat the Dolphins. It's specifically no. they blew them out. Yeah, the, the blowout fashion. Because which, you think about the Dolphins coming off, of, which maybe the Dolphins were always set up for a letdown because of what they did against the Broncos sure. last week. Maybe the Broncos are just dude, that bad. You go back to the game, you go back to the loss by the Bills to open the season against the Jets. And the discussion was man, Josh Allen, he's lost it. He's, you know, he's no longer in that conversation as being one of the best quarterbacks. And all he's done since then is just gone absolutely nuts and been great so a really impressive bounce back and the bills certainly appear to be back and this is a win for them that's going to give them a leg up certainly in the division over the dolphins uh and now it looks like that's it's gonna be a two-horse race i mean the patriots and jets have no chance so you've already beaten the dolphins on your home field that's that's great for the bills very impressive but surprising win for the bills yeah, in, in just the fashion. And honestly, I think that was almost a bit of a a trend and a theme. Like you could just say in theory, the amount of blowouts or the or the the blow every blowout that kind of happened was a bit of a surprise. Like the Bills blowing out the Dolphins, not a surprise the Bills won. It was a surprise that it was a blowout. I guess maybe Baltimore blowing out Cleveland was not a huge surprise with Deshaun Watson out, but still, the Browns had been the best defense in the NFL through the first good. three weeks. So yeah. I guess blowing them out would be a surprise. Which the that Titans, sucks, Cleveland. The Titans blowing out the Bengals. Bit of a surprise, right? That they couldn't even put up a fight. Titans the Buccaneers still, going into New Orleans and blowing them out. Titans still frauds, I think. Uh, I don't know. The Bucks, Texans I, blew out the Steelers. Cowboys blew out the Patriots. <laughs> the, the biggest loss in Bill Belichick's history. Uh, 49ers <laughs> blowing out the Cardinals. I guess that's not that a surprise. Kind of a close game, Seattle though, blowing it? out New York Giants on, on Monday Night Football, right? Wasn't They're, the Niners game kind of close? Like, yeah, it was half? It was 21-16. to 16. They put up two touchdowns in the final like 10 minutes to pull yeah. away. So yeah. I guess that one wasn't that way. Uh, but for me, my uh, biggest surprise was Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson was really good um, against the Kansas City Chiefs. He outplayed Patrick Mahomes in that game. Now, obviously, Patrick Mahomes better, but I don't know. On that certain night, Zach Wilson, 245 in the air, two touchdowns, no picks, kept the Jets in the game, almost had them go on a comeback. Uh, I mean, Jets will, Jets, Zach Wilson was good. The thing with Zach Wilson, though, is like you don't expect him to do that again, do you? I don't, but so it was then, the biggest <laughs> surprise for me of week four. 
But he's just going to go back to sucking, probably. Doesn't that make it an even bigger surprise if he does, well, it's though? It's classic Chiefs, though. It's, it's classic that this would happen against the Chiefs. Yes. That Zach Wilson would suddenly turn into BYU Zach Wilson <laughs> for no apparent reason. It's because Andy Reid, a BYU guy no, himself, what saw, if he was trying no, to... He's trying to Dude, uh, keep his the, career alive. The, the tinfoil hats had a hell of a weekend <laughs> in the NFL. I mean, right. they were out in full force, tinfoil hatting, anything and everything they could think of. A very impressive performance from the uh, conspiracy NFL theorists over the course of the weekend, honestly. Okay, uh, what is your biggest disappointment? Biggest disappointment, I think it's, I think it's got to be the Bengals, right? I mean, they stink. And again, yeah. like I said, I'm really more mad at the Rams because the Bengals are probably going to make the playoffs, I, I think. I know it sounds crazy right now, but I think they're going to make the playoffs. And it's going to be the Rams' fault. Okay, it's, You're going to circle back and you're going to say, boy, if the Rams had only beaten the Bengals on Monday Night Football, then they'd be dead. Instead, they're not dead, and I think they're going to make the playoffs. By the way, do you want to hear Joe Burrow's stats uh, so far this season? Yeah, he's trash. It's pretty alarming. Well, I mean, he's playing honest. on one leg. But, I know, he is. But, hang on a second, he... Gets off easy for playing on one leg and not mm. Mahomes. Mahomes went and won a Super Bowl on one leg. That's fair. Uh, 57.6% completion rate. He is averaging 130-ish, 132 yards per game passing. Bad. Um, actually, no, it's got to be more than that. It's Yeah, it is more than that. I did bad math there. Wait, Sorry about the, that. 180 dude, yards passing per game. That's still bad. Dude. 4.8 yards per attempt. Turn your brain on. Bad. Plug it in. Two touchdowns to two interceptions. So that means on, on for the season, he's on pace for like nine touchdowns and nine interceptions. That is wild. And uh, his total QBR is 33.6. Bad. Very bad. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so that's the biggest disappointment. I mean, I didn't, I don't know. I mean, they, they just, they're just in total disarray. Jamar Chase is a clown. Uh, they got, they got, they got clowns all over the place, actually. Uh, and uh, Joe Burrow. Not as great as Mahomes on one leg, as it turns out. Okay. So that so, sucks for the Bengals. Biggest disappointment. Uh, my biggest disappointment, if I'm not going to go with the Bengals, I I'm going to go with the New Orleans Saints. Now, this is a disappointment on two levels. One, <laughs> a disappointment for me, because I was actually excited to watch, watch a Jameis Winston revenge game against the Buccaneers, and we didn't get to see that. They deprived us of, of that. They decided and said, hey, let's start a quarterback who has a sprained AC joint and can't throw the football downfield. And for some reason, that was their decision to do that. It was not a smart decision. They got housed at home to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 26-9 after the Bucs had just gotten, I don't know, handedly beat the week before against the Philadelphia Eagles. Did you see Alvin Kamara's stat line, by the way? Uh, he was on my fantasy team. So, so you probably, think. are you in a PPR league? I'm in a half PPR league. Okay, so you, you benefited slightly so from So he this. had like, I think he finished with like 15 fantasy points in the league that I'm in. He had 13 catches. Yes. Would you like to guess how many yards he had on those 13 I know, it catches? I was like 10. It was 33 <laughs> yards on 13 catches. I have never seen a line like that ever. No, it's awesome. I loved it. Uh, it's great for you in fantasy and stuff. Yeah, yeah, man. yeah, half PPR. Listen, when it comes to the PPR versus non-PPR debate, half PPR. It's the perfect compromise. No, I agree. Everybody wins. I agree, because think about it. If you're in a PPR league... You're basically you got 13 points for free. You're, yes, you're rewarding Alvin Kamara for doing very little. He just ran up two <laughs> yards, turned around, and they threw him the ball because they couldn't do anything else. Yeah, it's great. No, it was awesome. I loved it. Yeah, so I, still I don't know. Them getting so blown out. Better. I was kind of surprised by that. They were the biggest disappointment to me. And uh, <laughs> through the first two weeks, it was like, oh, they're going to win the division. Well, because it's like, you know, you could go with the Steelers, but the Steelers are not that good. Plus, Kenny Pickett got hurt, and they lose to the, to the Texans. Mm -hmm. You go with the Giants, but the Giants... Dink. 
You can honestly and, go with Mac uh, Jones, just the individual. Yeah, I guess. I mean, again, worst QB in the league, maybe. Uh, you know, so I mean, you look at the other blowouts, and it's like, are you are you going to say the could Cardinals? you argue the Dolphins? Because you had this hype building up, and it was to, like, well, we're... I'm starting to think that maybe they were just always set up to to have a letdown. Yeah, maybe after last week. Okay, uh, who is your week two MVP on offense and on defense, dude? On offense, and I maybe I don't think we've talked about this guy enough. Uh, Puka Nakua. Mm. They caught the game winning touchdown right in overtime. Yes, for the he did. against the Colts. Twenty nine, twenty three. So. Yeah. By the way, you said week two MVP. We're in week four. Oh, I'm sorry. Buddy. I did say week two MVP. <laughs> week two times two MVP. <laughs> yeah, Puka Nakua, offensive MVP. Okay. I mean, this dude's on pace to have the most receiving yards in a single season. And Cooper Cup is supposed to be back this week? Cooper question Cup's, mark. I know he comes off IR. Cooper Cup's a, a fraud. He stinks. Wow. Okay. Puka Nakua's better. I was just going to say, isn't that going to eat into some of his usage, though? Isn't that going to uh, hurt some of the on pace for this? Oh, that's a good point. I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Because right now he's on pace to have the most receiving, right. most receiving but yards now, in the season. A bunch of those are going to go to Cooper Cup. So it's like, maybe, well. Maybe not. Maybe yeah. Cooper Cup stinks. I guess so. I don't know. He could get injured again. Um, my offensive MVP is Nico Collins. I'll stay in the receiver group for the Texans. Obviously, the Texans blew out the Pittsburgh Steelers. Nico Collins had seven catches for 168 yards and two touchdowns. Did you know Nico Collins right now, who was a former third-round pick from Michigan? I think this is his third year in the NFL. He's finally kind of breaking out. Part of it, you actually have a quarterback now in C.J. Stroud. Did you know Nico Collins is on pace for over 1,800 receiving yards right now? Not as much as Puka Nakua, baby. That's, I guess that's true. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, man, Nico Collins has been really good, too. Who is your defensive MVP? Uh, I was thinking about this. I mean, I don't know if I could just say the Seahawks D-line. They mm-hmm. sacked Daniel Jones a lot You know what's funny? Which, by the way, the, the record is 14. That also happened against the Giants. Okay. Back in, like, 1954, but... So, I, I almost want to go with the Seattle linebacker, which just, like, you could give it to the entire Seahawks defense. Or Devon Should Witherspoon. we just give it? Well, that's because right, you have Devon Witherspoon. Yeah. Bobby Wagner had 17 tackles and two sacks. That's pretty good. The D-line. Should we just Let give it to the entire sacks. Seattle defense? I'm fine with that. Okay. I'm fine with that. Held the Giants to three points. I mean, you're, you're three you're, and you're, one. You're playing, the, you're playing a bad team in the yeah. Giants, but... Make them look bad, that. and they did. Yeah, anytime you do that, it's impressive. Uh, okay, who is your I think they're good? Mm, I think they're good. In a loss, I think the commanders might be kind of nice. Mm. I think they might be sneaky good. Which, by the way, that would really speak to how well the Bills are playing right now because they just yes. blew out them the week I think, before. I think, the, I think the – well, I was going to say Bills too. I think the Bills are actually back to being good. Uh, which it's not – I don't think the Bills were ever like – I never thought they were bad, or I don't think people thought they were bad, but – I mean, the discourse after the Jets game was pretty rough on the Bills. I think they're fine. They're good. But, yeah, man, Commanders. No, okay, I think they're good, but Riverboat Ron is soft <laughs> as hell, bro. Come on, dude. Okay. It's like the first rule of when you're in that situation. If you're on the road against a better opponent, you go for two every time. Yeah, I feel like we – Ridiculous. I, I feel like for a while now it's been like Riverboat Ron isn't really Riverboat. Why, no, why are we – No. It's just Ron. It's just – yeah, it's soft. Everyday Ron. Ron. Yes, soft. Okay, soft Ron, not riverboat. Soft. Um, I think they're good. I, I kind of want to go a couple ways with this. I, 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 I don't know. Is Devon A chain? Is that too low hanging fruit? Yeah, he's uh, looked really well the last two. I, I, he might be a top ten running back already. Um, yeah. I could go with Jill. the Buccaneers. All right, you know what I'm gonna do? What are you gonna do? Brock Purdy. I think he's good. <laughs> Did you know Brock Purdy's number one Dude, in the NFL in total QBR? No, Kyle Shanahan is good. Brock Purdy I mean, Mike is McDan- oh, well, yeah, average benefiting from 
Cal's but right. again, we go back and, and we're like, Christian man, McCaffrey. they want a Fiesta Bowl at Iowa State. Now Matt Campbell's struggling. It's like maybe MVP Brock Purdy was pretty good. He's got maybe an he MVP was running back. Maybe he was building. He hasn't lost the game in the NFL. Like they, <laughs> well, they, that's not true because he started the the Eagles game. No, was, well, so he technically lost. I guess. Does that count? Yes. You started, you lost. I don't think it does. I think that's L. like when a starting pitcher leaves after three innings and it's 0-0. Zero, zero. No, L. If they lose the game after, it's not his fault. Yes, it is. L. I don't think so. But, man, he just like, well, okay, he hasn't lost a regular season game. That's for sure. And it's like, yes, you could say maybe he's just average. But I don't know, man. Jimmy Garoppolo was average and below average. And they were winning a lot of games with him. That's the whole point. I know, but now, but like Jimmy Garoppolo so Jimmy was G. not number one in total QBR. Jimmy Garoppolo was not doing some of the downfield stuff that Brock Purdy is doing. I don't think Brock Purdy is like a top, you know, I don't know, eight quarterback in the NFL. I think he's top half, which I think they're good. I well, think if he's like the no, 14th I, I best quarterback in the NFL, I, like I think that's he's, goodish. I think he's the 14th best quarterback in the NFL, yes. Okay. I think that's, great. I think that's goodish. That's, they're good. That, that, that doesn't mean he's good. elite, though. I didn't say he's elite. It's you just, were kind of hinting good. at it. I no, think. no, I did not. Yes, you were. No, he's not elite. <laughs> uh, okay, you were what flirting is, with the idea. No, I was not. I yes, think they suck. Man, uh, dude, there's a lot of teams that I think suck. I think all of them, to be honest. Uh, no, I'll <laughs> go with the... Them, <laughs> no, I'll... God, dude, I mean... Dude, I don't know. I mean... I guess the, the Saints? I don't know. I think the Saints suck. <laughs> well, no, I'm really mad about this because every week I say a uh-huh. team sucks and then you're like, well, last week you thought they didn't suck, so now I don't know who to pick. You can pick a player. You can pick a coach. You could pick a Payton rule. Sucks. You could pick an official. Sean Payton. You could pick sucks. a national media member. Sean Payton I don't know. sucks. Okay, Sean Payton. How about sucks. that? I like that. Sean Payton sucks. Former Super Bowl winning he coach sucks. Sean Payton. And you think no, he, he sucks. sucks? Okay. No, he's he's garbage. He uh, literally is terrible. Sucks. Um, I've been on the board that the Giants suck, so I'm not going to pick them again. By the way, I didn't know this. Daniel Jones moved to one in eighteen in prime time. Yeah, he's that is insane. He's 0-7 he's now on uh, Monday so, Night Football. Do you remember the infamous Giants boat picture with OBJ and the, all those guys? Remember? Yes. What do you think? Do you know? Want to know what the Giants' record is since that picture was taken? Sure. Eleven and ninety-three. That doesn't seem real. It's not real. Okay, I was going to say they won like ten games last <laughs> year. How? With you. Okay. Um, have I picked Ryan Tannehill yet this season? As I know, I've talked about him sucks? being bad, but I don't know that I've put him in this category. You yet. have, yeah. Okay. No. Oh. Oh. I don't know if you. I don't know if you. Right, fine. I'll do somebody else. Uh, just in case. Because no. No. You can put him in there. No. It's fine. I'll go. You somebody can put, else. Him no, put him in there. Desmond Ritter. Put him in there. Desmond Ritter. Ryan Tannehill. Okay. Ryan Tannehill and Desmond Ritter. <laughs> <laughs> but no. We'll we'll uh, spend today on Ryan Tannehill. He is thirty second in the NFL in total QBR at twenty eight point two. Um. You watch him play. Not good. Two touchdowns to four interceptions. Base stats don't look good. There was a point there. You know, three four years ago, where for a few years he was you know an average above average quarterback. He was putting up some insane like yard per attempt numbers and stuff. I think it was more of a product of the offense, but he was still solid. Now he is just very bad, like very very bad. I don't know how they've gone even two and two with the two wins being over the playoff teams from last year with the Bengals and, and Chargers. Uh, you watch him play, and it it just doesn't look right. It doesn't look good. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, man, uh, Ryan Tannehill, I think they suck. Okay. Okay. Well, you uh, think he sucks? Yes. Yeah. Last category here: top three, bottom three. Top three: Chiefs, Niners, Eagles. Bottom three: Broncos, Panthers, Bears. Okay. We get Niners, Cowboys on uh, I think Sunday Night Football this week, so that should be a good one, and that'll be uh, helpful for this. Top three for me: Cowboys are number four for me. Man. Um. I mean, listen, I'm going to put the Chiefs in there every time, by the way. I'm going to go Bills 1 right now. 
Okay. I mean, the way that the Commanders just played overtime with the Eagles and have won their two other games, they got blown out by the Bills. Bills blew out the Dolphins. I'm going to go Bills 1. Okay. Uh, number 2, live, I'm going to go your, the 49ers. And number 3, I'm going to go the Chiefs. Okay. And then my bottom three, I'll say 30 is the Giants. Wow. 31, Panthers, 32, Bears. I mean, it's impossible to go not Panthers, Bears. Yes. 31-32. For now, yeah. I mean, those boys. Those boys. I mean, I, I could have put the Broncos 32. I just want to be a little different and pick the those Giants. Those boys stink. You could say, well, the Giants, same record as the Cardinals, and they beat the Cardinals. But I don't know. I think the Cardinals were the better team in that game, to be completely honest. <laughs> and the Cardinals have a good win against the Cowboys. So Broncos, Panthers, Bears. Those boys stink. Yeah. All right. That is our NFL Week 4 recap. Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports is going to join us coming up here in about 20 minutes. We've got our Big 12 breakdown coming up next. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Kevin Flaherty is going to join the show coming up here in about 15 minutes from right now. I'm Derek Johnson with Nick Springer. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Uh, let's get to our Big 12 breakdown for uh, recapping over the weekend of Big 12 football here. There there were some interesting conference games that uh, went down and some results that came out of it. Um, did you have a favorite game? I, I think the, the Baylor-UCF game was probably pretty The, ba- the Baylor-UCF game was wild. Uh, uh, just a crazy game, obviously, with Baylor making the comeback, and then UCF had a chance late and uh, missed the kick. By the way, from the KU perspective – do you think it would have been better or worse for UCF to make the field goal or miss the field goal? <laughs> uh, Since they're playing them this week after. Better for them to miss or, or make? I hate playing teams coming off of like losses, let alone two losses, where especially where it's like that, and it's like you know they're going to be riled up. So you would have rather they made the field goal. Yes. Man. And then all of a sudden they're partying all night long, <laughs> and then you get them maybe a little more down. <laughs> that would be my thought. Nope. But no, that, be that did in. not end up happening. Uh, yeah, okay. and also a big win for Dave Aranda personally to save his job, probably. Yeah, let's let's pick those biggest win uh, in the Big Twelve. Who are you going with? Uh, I think it's got to be either Baylor or West Virginia. I mean, dude, West Virginia. Like, first of all, I don't know if you uh, watched any of the game, but they endured a couple of really really bad injuries that stopped. Yeah, a couple the guys game. get like carted out. Yeah, yeah, a couple bad injuries. That you know, you never know how that can impact the team, right? Just from a morale standpoint, uh, they battled through that and got a big win. And dude, West Virginia—I mean, this was a team that was, I would say, pretty much consensusly picked to finish in the bottom three or four of the league, and they are well on their way to being potentially in the top half. I mean, they're sitting at four and one right now, undefeated in conference play. Like they have a pretty good chance to finish. They're tough. Six, they run six, the football well. CJ Donaldson's good. They play yeah, good defense. That's a dude that's like massive, right? Giant, yeah, back. former tight end converted to running back. Which I'll is, be honest, that's just insane. I'm gonna skip ahead here because my biggest loss. I actually had TCU. Uh, specifically, not because the game itself. Like the, it's not a huge loss. West Virginia's pretty good. You lost by three are points. They? I, I, mean, think, I guess they kind I of think are. West Virginia might win seven or eight games. Yeah, um, that's probably so it's not like a bad loss. More than right? what they were like. Obviously, the UCF loss is is worse from how it happened. But here's why I thought it was TCU. If, if you watched the game, they the, the game management, the time management that they underwent was just, like, atrocious. Um, they got the ball back down by three with, like, three minutes left. And 
they just kept like running plays and having no sense of urgency. And they would just get up to the line and like wait, waste 30 seconds. And then they call the play. Eventually, it got to a point where there was like less than a minute left. And they had a first down at the um, West Virginia, like, I don't know, 40 yard line, 45 yard line, somewhere like that. And they were basically, it was like they were playing for a long field goal. Like they, they ran the ball <laughs> on first and 10 with like 45 seconds left. They ran it for like a two yard gain. It was like, what are you doing? And so they ended up having to try a like 50 something yard field goal. And on top of that, not only was the time management horrible that you basically pinned yourself back to having to take a field goal just to try to tie and not really taking a chance at getting a win. But on top of that, their kicker had already missed two field goals. He was 0 for 2 <laughs> with one of them from about that distance that got blocked. And it ended up the third one got blocked too. I don't even know if he would have made it. So he goes 0 for 3 on field goals. But bad. it's like you just that put the bad. kicker out to dry. So the way that they lost that game I think was really, really bad for TCU. That It was a game that you know maybe they didn't really have as much business losing if they would have handled it in a lot better way. Yeah. And it's clear that TCU is is not nearly the same as they were last year. And hard, some of their one-score games, hard quarterback luck, it ain't happening. Hard yeah. regression to the mean yes. for, for TCU. But, I mean, even still, even I think a lot of people were kind of expecting a regression from TCU, but – to this I don't know level, about this much, yeah, yeah. Like you probably was six and sixteen. Yeah, you probably expect them to regress to like eight and four, and their schedule was pretty soft to start the year, and now here they are at three and two. Yeah. So yeah, like they still have to play Texas. I don't know if they have OU this year. Yeah, uh, man. It's tough. I don't know. Okay, um, I, know, I know they don't have Kansas. No, that's true. Yeah, I know that would be actually probably That'd be a loss. Nice. That'd be an L. Uh, By the way, if Kansas fans wanted West Virginia, no, you don't. <laughs> My biggest win is Baylor, though. I mean, uh, what that win meant for the program after coming in at one and three, especially if the game would have finished the way it was headed. If you're one and four and you're absolutely blown out by UCF, does Dave Aranda oh, yeah. get left on the tarmac? I, I know what I'm saying. I mean, this that that saved his job, right? Probably certainly saved his job, especially with the way it was going. So yeah, I mean, for now it saves job and it, and it saves a semblance of hope for Baylor that like, yeah, maybe we can get to bowl eligibility this year. Maybe we can well, strap and the rest away. question is with the with the Big Twelve the way it is this year, sitting at one and one right now, not the worst place to be. Seriously, without the Big Twelve shaping up, I mean, you could right. easily find some form for a month or two, rip off some nice wins, and be right back in the top five of the Big Twelve standings. Yeah, so I thought I thought it was a huge win for them to just try to I don't know get the the program on the right track. Who did yep. you have as your biggest loss for in the Big Twelve? In the Big Twelve, yeah. Uh. I mean, I think you could argue UCF. I, just to be different, though, Iowa State getting blasted by Oklahoma, right? I mean, that listen, Matt Campbell always plays Oklahoma close, and it, that was a game where it felt like if Iowa State was going to maintain any sort of positive trajectory for their season, they needed to have it be a close game, and they just got ran in the second half. So, uh, I, I don't know. I lose by 30. I mean, I know it was a big spread to begin with. Oklahoma's pretty heavily favored, but that's a pretty demoralizing loss for yeah. Iowa State. Could you argue Houston, too? Because, I mean, Tech hasn't been too good this year, and they just kind of were never in the game. 49-28, Tech beats them by 21 points. Yeah. I is mean, Houston and then you the worst look at team the, in the Big 12? Is Houston? Houston? I, I think so. Right now, I think so. I mean, I think your, think your worst teams are Houston, Cincinnati, or probably in the bottom It feels two. like they have more fight to them. 
I, I mean, Baylor I, before I mean, they beat UCF would have been yeah, in the well, discussion. Now UCF, Iowa State's up there. there Oklahoma the State, obviously. Oklahoma State, yeah. I mean, you see, yeah, there's some teams you could discuss, but I, I think it's it's almost pretty clearly to me Houston is the last. And then just to get in there because I don't want to overlook it, the Friday night game, BYU taking care of business against Cincinnati. Which, by the and way, that game ended up closer than it looked on the score. It was 35-20 since he got like a yeah. Which, by the way, is there a worse draw than BYU on a Friday night in Mountain Time Zone? Nope. Good fan base, in altitude, short week. Friday night, yeah. Yeah, that's no, that's, that's and, and for Cincinnati, it's like they're one of the, it's like West Virginia and Cincinnati and I guess UCF are like the easternmost teams. Yeah. So you have the longest way to travel to get over to BYU. Yeah, that that uh, was unfortunate yeah, for Cincinnati. Bad. Um, but BYU, that's a good bounce back for them, which you're, you're almost hoping for, because from the Kansas perspective, as we evaluate, you know, you, you continue to add puzzles and yeah, different yeah. games that happen. Illinois. And we look at Illinois, and we're like, Dang. oh, they're not very good. BYU's your best win right now. By the way, Nevada actually played uh, Fresno State close-ish. That's the top 25 team, so okay. maybe that makes you feel a little bit better. Here but yeah, BYU is KU's best win. And, the Wolfpack. Uh, getting those wins for them continues to oh. make the KU resume look a little bit better. Wolfpack. All right, we're going to talk some Big 12 football. We're going to talk some uh, KU football, KU Texas, KU UCF, plenty more coming up on the other side with uh, Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. By the way, Jayhawk fans, we're going to be out of Big Mail this Saturday, 1230 to 130 on KLWN, 1230 to 230 on KISS. And we're going to have a bunch of stuff from Grandstand to give away. Since 1988, they've been making some of the coolest branded items for some of your favorite craft beverage brands and uh, making some stuff for us too. Glasses, shirts, hats, giveaways, you name it. You can actually work there if you want a job. You can uh, check them out at egrandstand.com slash careers to learn more. That's letter E, grandstand.com slash careers. Careers, or you can uh, get some of your customized gear there with Grandstand. All right, with Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. We're joined now by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. Uh, KU falls to Texas 40-14 to on Saturday in a game that you know, on one hand, could have been closer had Jalen Daniels played or KU took an advantage of a few opportunities they had. On the other hand, it could have been worse based on the uh, total yards and success rate and some of the maybe underlying metrics of the game that happened. Kevin, what was your top takeaway from the Jayhawks side of thing from the uh, KU-Texas game? Yeah, uh, Texas is really good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was, it, it was one of those things. I, I know that's not the, the best Jayhawk takeaway necessarily, but... I feel like one of the things that, that people try to ask you a lot is, you know, what what did you take away? You know, do you feel differently uh, about, you know, Kansas coming out of that game? And and I really didn't that much. Uh, I know that that sounds strange in a, in a game, like you said, that you could take in a lot of different ways. You know, Kansas kind of battled and, and did some good things in, in terms of hanging around, even though the – the yardage was lopsided. Texas probably could have broken it open. I, I do think there's something to be said. You know, there are a lot of people out there who say, well, if Jalen would have played, but if Jalen Daniels would have played, you know, Steve Sarkeesian likely would have coached a little bit differently. I felt like Texas, you know, kept its cards relatively close to its vest, uh, sort of believing, hey, you know, we've we've got a chance to, a pretty good chance to win this thing as, uh, as long as, uh, as long as we don't shoot ourselves in the foot. And, and for the most part, you know, Texas kind of shot itself in the foot in, in the first half and, and allowed Kansas to, to kind of hang around a little bit. And then the second half, 
It was a really hot day. I can tell you from from actually being in the stands that it was a a very very hot day in Austin. And I think you know the fact that the Texas outsnapped Kansas by forty plays and, and had almost forty minutes of, of possession. You know that that's kind of the uh, kind of the opposite way to the way KU typically wants to play in terms of grinding things down and and grinding the pace of the game down and all of those things. And I felt like Kansas just kind of wore down. Yeah, and and how much do you think you know Jalen Daniels? Uh, having him back, which we don't know really on a week-to-week basis which games it'll be or which it won't, but over the final seven games now, I I guess what do you think a realistic record would be if those games were Jalen Daniels versus Jason Bean? Like, How much of a difference do you think that is? That's really tough to say. I mean, I I appreciate the question, and I'll I'll, I'll try to answer it. But Mm -hmm. uh, That was a very uh, presidential answer, answer, by the way. Yeah, yeah. thank you, thank you. (laughs) Um, I, I think you know, I think Kansas probably still goes to a bowl game with the schedule of Jason Bean as the quarterback. But I think for Kansas to have the kind of upside that we talk about on a on a week to week basis on this show, and and like we talked about a week ago when Kansas was still undefeated, you know, if you're starting to look at that schedule and look at some of those other teams and and say this looks a little bit more manageable maybe than it did in July and August. You know, I think Jalen's the guy that gives you your chance at nine wins, you know, somewhere around in there. I'm not saying they'll get to nine wins, but I'm saying I think he gives you that kind of that kind of upside. And it's it's interesting because I, I do think Jason Bean takes a lot of, you know, kind of unwarranted criticism in a lot of ways. I do think one of the areas where Kansas is significantly better with Jalen Daniels is in high leverage possessions. And when you look at that Texas game in particular, you know, Kansas gets the ball. It's, uh, it's 20 to 14. I think they're down six. You go, uh, go three and out basically and then go for it on fourth down, get stuffed. Texas scores. You get the ball right back, kind of needing a response. You go three and out and Texas kind of puts the game away. And I think, not saying that, hey, Jalen Daniels would have led them down there for a touchdown, but I think that when you add up sort of what Kansas has done with, with Jalen Daniels in a lot of those situations and what Kansas has done with Jason Bean in a lot of those situations, I, I think that's part of where you see maybe the separation a little bit. And, and as we all know, you know, it's, it's not that that game would have been in that spot if Jalen had played, but if Jalen had come in or, or Jalen had played and they wind up taking that 21 to 20 lead after they get the stop, that game feels very, very different. And Texas's sideline, you know, maybe starts looking at things a little bit differently. And so I do think that Jalen's the guy that kind of gives this team its upside beyond just, you know, sort of meeting that bowl expectation. But I do think Jason Bean's good enough for this team to win a couple more games and, and still go to the postseason. Well, KU takes on UCF this Saturday, 3 o'clock in Lawrence. Um, I, I guess what what sticks out to you the most about this matchup and, and how KU matches up with UCF, especially if it is Jason Bean? Yeah, I mean, the other question about that is, is it John Rice Plum? Yeah. <laughs> and, and so we're, we're sitting here talking about this, and, you know, I, I saw where Gus Malzahn said he was, what, technically cleared last Friday. 
but they felt like, hey, he didn't get a chance to really go through the the refs and things where they would feel comfortable playing him a, a week ago. I think Kansas outmatches UCF in the trenches, and I think that's a a really big part of that. I think that if Bryce Plumley plays, I think Kansas is going to struggle to slow down that offense. I think he makes that UCF offense so explosive because his running ability is something that you always have to account for, and that opens things up, you know, for him as a as a thrower and getting things downfield and, and all of those different things too. But if this is a game that, that Rice Plumley plays, you kind of set the UCF scoreline up there fairly high, and I think you wonder, you know, potentially is Kansas going to be able to score this many points with Jason being at quarterback? And the answer, the answer might be yes, but I think that's kind of where the question comes in. Now, if if you have both guys playing, where it's Rice Plumley and Jalen Daniels, I think. If Jalen Daniels is reasonably feeling good, then then I think Kansas has a a great chance to to kind of win that shootout because I think they'll have a chance to to kind of control the pace and the tempo and the different things that they're able to do with the running game in that one. But if not, that that does kind of open up some question marks. Well, elsewhere around the Big Twelve, uh, some interesting matchups this weekend. Certainly, the Texas Oklahoma game is uh, of note, which I can never remember because they've changed it again coming into this offseason, <laughs> what the name is, the Red River something at this point in time. Uh, what, what do you kind of see deciding that game between Texas and OU? Yeah, I think OU is still probably a year away. Uh, it, it's tough to tell, and we've talked about it on the show because on one hand, Oklahoma hasn't really played anybody, but on the other hand, Oklahoma has kind of done what you want them to do when you don't play anybody, right? Like, it's not... It's not the player's fault, you know, who they've been matched up with. And for the most part, you know, they've taken care of business the way you would want a really good team to do. And so I I do think they're kind of a year away. I was really impressed with Texas in person. You guys know, you know, I've seen a lot of Texas. You know, I used to cover Texas. Before that, you know, I I covered Kansas. And so I – I got to see those 08 and 09 Texas teams that were both kind of national title good in person. Uh, I saw the 05 team in person, the 04 team in person. And then I covered a bunch of the next several Texas teams. And, you know, I've seen a bunch of them through. This is the best Texas team that that I've seen in quite a while, guys. And I think, you know, when you look at, at the speed, the athleticism, what they have up front, I think this is probably the best Texas team I've seen since 2008. And keep in mind that the 2009 team played for a national title. So, so I tend to think that it's the Red River shootout. Anything can happen. But at the same time, I, I'd be a little bit surprised if Texas didn't eventually wind up taking care of business and winning this one. I just think they're better up front, and I think they're further along right now than, than Oklahoma is. I think Oklahoma is still maybe a year away, maybe even two years away. If Oklahoma ends up, I don't know, competing, losing by seven, or obviously sure. you know, pulling the upset and winning the game, how, how much would you start taking them seriously as a uh, – as a? I mean, if, that, if that's the bar you put on Texas, then you're clearly viewing them as a team that can win the national title. Would you start taking Oklahoma in that same vein? Sure, I, I think you have to. I, I, and you know, I mean, you can look at it and say, "Oh, it's one game; it's a rivalry result." But the flip side of that is that you know, Texas is going to be honed in for this game, and it's one that 
that Texas is going to have circled every year. And so for Oklahoma to go onto that neutral field and leave with a win, I think all of a sudden you do start having to say, you take away the but, right? Like right now it's Oklahoma looks really good, but, and you have the competition, you know, you are the level of competition. You look at the fact that, you know, some people just aren't sure about Brent Venables because of the way that Oklahoma played in close games last year. They lost every single close game they played last year. And so they haven't really played in any this year. You know, if they win a close game, then then all of a sudden you start to look at it as, okay, maybe maybe they have turned the corner quicker than people think. And I think at that point, you know, you're you're almost kind of circling that uh, circling that game in Arlington as a uh, as a likely rematch between those two teams because I'm not sure there's a team in the Big Twelve that'll hand te- hand Texas a second loss after that game. What to you was a more telling win last week in the Big Twelve? Was it West Virginia going down to Fort Worth and getting a W, or was it Baylor coming back and taking down UCF? You know, the the Baylor-UCF result was just kind of shocking to me, but it it happens sometimes where a team gets up really big. I I don't want to say UCF quit playing, but at the same time, you see that sometimes, right? You saw that in the Baylor-Kansas game a year ago where Baylor, you know, by all accounts, it kind of dominated that game except they'd had a few turnovers. The next thing you know, you look up, it's the fourth quarter and Kansas is within a score. I kind of felt like that was more, I don't want to say fluky, but you see something like that happen maybe a little bit more. I thought West Virginia's win over TCU was maybe more definitive, if that makes sense. I thought it said more about West Virginia. And the fact is, you know, we joked about it on this show, I think. And, you know, Neil Brown, obviously not very happy that people picked his West Virginia team last in the Big 12. And, you know, kind of called people stupid for doing it, and <laughs> and and he's uh, he's turning out to be pretty right. I think I think West Virginia right now looks like they've got a pretty good football team. If you had to uh, pick, uh, I don't know, short list of a couple guys right now who have been your favorite watches in the Big Twelve. You know, whether it's just entertaining or because they're that good. Uh, what are some of the players that would come to mind? Yeah, I like Tavondre Sweat, the defensive tackle for for Texas. You know, being 360 pounds and, and you know just kind of he picks up guys and kind of sets them to the side before deciding to rush the passer you know he's he's kind of a, a fun watch with that athleticism and everything I you know I have to pick a Kansan in here uh Jaron Canick at, at Oklahoma you know is just sort of a a speeding bullet of a linebacker I mean you're talking about a guy that ran a 10-4 100 meter dash in high school at Hayes and, and he's a linebacker. And so I have a, I have a lot of fun watching him as well. I think it, it'll be interesting to see how Texas tech transitions with the, with the injury to shock and everything, because I think the running backs there, I, I really like watching that, those guys as a group. And I think when you watch what they kind of did to Houston, I think you saw a little bit, I don't want to see Texas Tech transition necessarily, but they kind of leaned more into their physicality and, you know, hey, we're going to, we're going to protect our quarterback a little bit by not making him put the ball in the air. And they, they found a lot of success with that. And so I'm interested to watch, you know, Taj Brooks and all those guys moving forward. 
Talking with Kevin Flaherty here, 24-7 Sports. Uh, this is Friday. It's going to be late night in the fog, and uh, I guess it'll be KU fans their first time getting to see Johnny Furphy. Obviously a little different this year with late night in the fog than some years past because, uh, you know, even though it might be a lot of people's first time seeing some of the other newcomers in person, they at least get, did get to see a little bit of them in the uh, Puerto Rico trip. Uh, what can you tell us just just from you know what you've heard talking to people around the industry and, and at your site about uh, KU's kind of expectations and, and what they think they're getting from Johnny Furphy and what people will get to see this Friday for the first time? Yeah, you know, everything we've heard is on Furphy has been really positive. And, and the problem with that now is, you know, Kansas is undefeated and, <laughs> and nothing's gone wrong. And, and, you know, when you hear somebody say, we like this guy, you know, there's there's a wide range there. There's a, we like this guy, and he's going to play 20 minutes a game. And there's a, we like this guy, we see him impacting in the future, but not necessarily this year. I do think, you know, with the dismissal of Arterio Morris, you know, there, there are more minutes to be had on the wing. And, you know, Furphy's size and the fact that he can, you know, handle the ball a little bit and everything – you know, makes it to where you could maybe even go with a big wing group at times where you move McCuller to the two and potentially play Furphy at the, at the three next to him. And so I do expect Furphy to play. I'm, I'm interested to see whether or not he's able to carve out sort of a, a permanent role in that rotation because I think as we've seen, even when he's had teams that are really deep with talent, Bill Self kind of circles what, seven or eight guys that he has a trust level in where he feels like, hey, when Kansas goes head-to-head with uh, with Houston or somebody like that, these are these are my guys. And I'm interested to see if Furphy can kind of crack into that group, especially given that he was a guy that sort of emerged so quickly, you know, through the process and everything. Is he able to tap into that and, and build momentum off of that? Or is it the sort of thing where it's, hey, you know, he wound up at Kansas. That's terrific, but we should kind of push some of our expectations down the line, you know, to his sophomore season. Kevin, we, we call that the Bill Self Circle of Trust on the show. <laughs> yes, the Bill Self Circle of Trust. That's a that's a good name for it. And, and he's not the only one. I mean, I think it, it's kind of funny. I, I interviewed Eric Musselman a couple years ago and, and kind of asked him, you know, a similar thing where I was like, you know, you bring in all these transfers, to where everybody wants to say, hey, look at Arkansas, they're they're 13 deep, and then you play your NCAA tournament games and you play seven guys. And, and you know, it was just one of those things where, you know, he said, and, and I believe Bill Self has said something similar or said something to a similar effect of, you know, I don't decide playing time the players do. And, you know, it's uh, – this is a team that, that could sort of see that playing time go in a few different ways, and I think Furphy is kind of one of those uh, one of those question marks where it could go either way for him. All right, Kevin, who is the local prospect of the week? Yeah, uh, this week it's Caden Snyder, the uh, 2026 offensive tackle from Salina Central. Uh, if that high school sounds familiar to you guys, it's the former stomping grounds of uh, – Former Jayhawk great Jay, uh, Jake Sharp, excuse me. Uh, as of 2026, he's currently in his sophomore year of high school, and he's six foot five and 255 pound offensive tackle. So he's obviously got you know the size and everything there. He's a three sport athlete who's kind of coming into his own as a football guy. He's a little bit of a late comer, 
to that a little bit. He's also a varsity basketball player, and he qualified for state in the discus. So, you know, a, a three-sport athlete is an offensive tackle. A lot of times is what coaches are looking for. And it turns out that that's what Scott Fuchs is looking for because this past week Kansas went ahead and, and extended an offer uh, to the kid. You know, you think about offering an offensive lineman that far out. It really shows that they like the kid. And, you know, talking to different people, one of the comparisons that pops up with them is uh, is Tanner Hawkinson for a couple different reasons, one of them being sort of the multi-sport athleticism and the easy athlete that he is. He also has kind of that old man strength in his hands a little bit where he can dislodge people from positions by getting his hands on them. And so this is one that uh, KU was the, was the first Power Five to – to get out there and extend an offer for him, and, and I think it, it'll be interesting to see how uh, how Kansas goes from here with it. All right, he is Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports. Kevin, I appreciate the time as always, man, and uh, have a good rest of your week. All right, thanks a lot, guys. All right, Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Two hours down, one to go. We got uh, some more KU football talk coming up next. Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is KLWN. Don't forget you can check out anything you miss on the Best of RCST podcast, wherever you get any of your podcasts. Now at KUSports.com with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We continue on with our KU football talk. We'll get to some uh, Lance Leipold audio coming up in our next segment here on the show. It is our Heroes and Villains segment here where we go back to the previous weekend and uh, discuss who the heroes are, who the villains are. This is obviously from a KU perspective. So who, obviously, um, you know, this was a hero fighting in defeat, but you can still be yeah. a hero in that way. Yeah. You don't have to win to be a hero. Yeah. Uh, in fact, lots of heroes lose all the time, you know? It's just showing the Wait, courage what? to step up. Yeah. Dude, um, that's so messed sorry up. Sorry to break your childhood. Dude, that's Anyway, um, who's your offensive hero for KU? Offensive hero. Did everything he could to try to keep Kansas in the game. Daniel Highshaw, man, right place, right time, picking up the fun, picking up the fumble from Dan- Jason Bean and scoring the touchdown. I mean, incredible, mm. incredible. And what's a good? Who's a hero who's always in the right place at the right time? Is it? I don't know. You wouldn't say Batman, would you? No, Batman needs the bat signal. Yeah, to notify okay. it. See, I almost does this disqualify Daniel Highshaw from being the Why? hero because most heroes get alerted to what's going on to tell them where to go, where to go. Yeah, no, exactly. He did. He was in the right place. He just happened to be there. No, but he, he knew. But he knew. He got lucky. No, so he was like, he got uh, lucky. No, 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 no. The ball happened to no, 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 no. dribble his no, way. No, he he saw what the, if the fumble would have gone the other way. He saw the future and knew no. that that's where the ball was no. going to go, and so he was in the right spot at the right time and touchdown. What if the ball went the other way? Okay, well, the other option is Trevor Wilson, flash, with a deep <laughs> touchdown pass. But he also dropped the pass on third down. I know. Down. I know. That's why I went with Daniel Hyshaw, and then you got all mad at me for picking a guy who scored one of KU's two touchdowns. Mm-hmm. That's fine. That's so, who I want to go with. Daniel Hyshaw. Saw um, the future, right place, right time. Todd. Here's a fun question. Do this you know? Be a dumb question, I'm sure. Do you know who the leading receiver for KU was in terms of catches in the game? Yeah. Was it was it Fairchild? Mason Fairchild was one of two players with two catches. 
So, but two was the most, right? Yeah, two was the most. So okay. that's it. Like nobody had more than two catches. Well, there was only nine completed passes. So yeah, I know. Not that so hard like, to figure that out. I, I kind of just want to like it's it's hard to pick anybody in the passing game at all. Well, know? that's why I didn't. That's why I, picked, I know. That's why I picked uh, Daniel Hyshaw. So Fairchild had two, and the other one was what? Was it uh, Lawrence Arnold? Did he have two? No, I'm trying to remember who it was. Might have been Devin Neal or something. I don't. It remember. was Devin. I don't Neal. remember. Two catches for okay, ten was, yards. There we go. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna go Dominic Pooney. Okay. Dominic Pooney was it was yeah. I mean he had a, a good pass a, blocking grade, a, a good run blocking grade. Yeah. Yeah, he was. Uh, I think Fantastic Four. The was, guys uh, the Rock is like the thing. Mister Incredible. Is that right? No, Mister Incredible is like the stretchy guy. No. Yes. <laughs> oh, are you thinking Mister Incredible from, from the, the Incredibles? Incredibles? Yes. Wait, what's the guy from? I was saying Fantastic Four. Oh. Uh, Dude, the, the stretchy guy is not Mr. Incredible. No, yeah. What is the stretchy? Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I kind of like stretchy guy. Actually. You just like stretchy guy? Isn't it? No. It's not Elastigirl. Stretchy guy. And Elastigirl. That's Elastigirl's also, the that's wife also in, in Incredibles. Yes. Elastigirl. Stretchy guy in the Fantastic Four. Uh, I, don't, I don't know his name. I don't know. We're not going to get around to this. It doesn't matter. He's not either of those because he's not the stretchy guy. No, but Pooney had a uh, 77 pass block grade. That was best among any KU player. He also had a 66 run block grade. Um, only players who were better were Daniel Hyshaw, Quentin Skinner, Tanaka Scott. Those were limited snaps. Pooney had uh, more than those. And uh, when you're looking at total pressures allowed, um, let's see. Pooney gave up one hurry. So he gave up one pressure in 26 snaps of pass blocking against a really good defensive line for Texas. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think he deserves it. Okay. Played 47 snaps. The at, thing. I love tackle. The thing. Yeah, Dominic Pooney was the thing. And not you know, stre- not stretchy. Sometimes the hero does work that uh, doesn't get enough no, uh, true. credit. Absolutely. No, and, and I don't think he got enough credit. So he's my uh, offensive hero. Yeah. Who's your defensive hero? You got some good options here. You got uh, Austin Booker, who uh, recorded one and a half tackles for loss plus a half sack. You have Jamie Robinson, who had one sack. But I'm going to go with O.J. Burroughs. Led the team in tackles. He was flying around, and he made some noticeable tackles, I think, in the game for KU. And uh, really impressive stuff because O.J. Burroughs, we know he's great in coverage, right? But if he's the, if he becomes a guy who can also come down and, and be a solid tackler, I mean, he becomes maybe your best defender in the second. Does it change your answer at all knowing that O.J. Burroughs also led the team in missed tackles? No. With four of them? It doesn't. Okay. Because everybody missed tackles. Okay. There was a thousand missed but tackles. He led everyone in missed There tackles. was a thousand missed tackles in the game. And also, isn't it bad that your safety had to make that many tackles? No, because he was coming down to make tackles. Okay. Why do you, why do you do this? I'm just I'm just, just challenging your answer. I want you to come out fighting so you can support why do you your answer. Poke holes in whatever I'm trying to but say. But because I want you to, to fight well, you your 13 answer. Tackles. Okay. Had, and and we know he's a great coverage guy and he came down and made some good, <laughs> made some plays. I think he's I think he's deserving. Andre Burroughs was targeted three times and gave up three catches. Nonetheless, okay. <laughs> Kobe Bryant was targeted four times no, and gave up four uh, catches or whatever. Nello Dodson was targeted yeah. whatever many times and gave up a bunch of catches. Uh, Dude, they, I mean, the defense gave up 700 yards. I know. Whatever hero you want to pick, you can poke holes in. Sure. Uh, poke hole in this one, jerk. No, I'm going to um, – see, I don't know. I was hoping you would pick one of these two guys because I thought there were two clear answers here, and you didn't pick either one of them. Okay. So now I don't know which one I want to pick. <laughs> I am going to go with Austin Booker. So you had Austin Booker and who else? Cornell Wheeler. Okay, for the interception. Yeah, Cornell Wheeler had an interception. 
He had a 91 coverage grade. He had an 86 overall grade on pro football focus. He had six tackles, missed one. Um, he had a good game. And then Austin Booker, um, he had four total pressures. He had five total tackles. He was he was a good pass rusher. He had seven total tackles, five total tackles. Yeah, I don't know. This hasn't been five. They they do mm-hmm. things differently. So yeah, maybe maybe he got credited in the game with seven. But uh, yeah, four total pressures too. Like. He had a good game. He had a good game. Yeah. And Austin Booker is developing to a point where, like, is he a better pass rusher than Lonnie Phelps was? Oh, easily, yeah. You think so? I think it's Wow, you answered that quick and easily. Yes, I think so. I think without By question. Bar. Yes. It was better. Okay. Which, again, is wild to think about because going into the in the offseason, it was the D-line might stink. And now Austin Booker's great. Patrick Joyner's been pretty good. Devin Phillips has been good. Jeremy Robinson. Jeremy Robinson has stepped up. In Hatcher, yeah. Okay, who is your uh, special teams hero? Oh, come on. It's obvious. It's my boy. Damon. <laughs> come on down. Are there any Australian superheroes? There's got to be, right? Oh, I'm sure. They just <laughs> Dude, don't have it. A- <laughs> I just typed in Australian superheroes, and some of these are just like, they they just sound like, they're so stereotypical well, why can't it almost. why be Australian Superman? <laughs> I, I, I guess. Is there anything about I don't know uh, Captain Koala? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what this one is. Pizza Man? <laughs> Who's that? Uh, Dude, Captain Dave, Lunar? David Grease is Pizza Man, hundred <laughs> percent. I want. Yeah. I need to know more about Pizza Damon, Man. My boy, it looked good. And you know what? I need to take a step back and look at the bigger picture here. Mm-hmm. I have been selfishly calling for. Aussie punting? No, I'm wrong. I was wrong. Hand up. I was wrong. Kick it out of the kick it out of the hell you want. You do great. Okay. Pizza Man uh, movie in 2011. Pizza Man Greece. Not have a great read rating. Okay, we need to get to the bottom of this. Next time, mm-hmm. the problem is they don't just send out Damon Greaves to the media. But the next time we have a chance <laughs> to talk to him, we got to ask him about Australian superheroes. Right? Yes. We need to just more about Australian culture in general, right? Yeah. I don't yeah. even know who else well, would I pick. Know, for... I know because you didn't even know about Vegemite, and Vegemite right. I think is a pretty yeah, common knowledge of Australia. He's got to be a Captain Vegemite, right? <laughs> I don't know. For anybody that doesn't know Vegemite, it's like this. It's like a brown paste. It's gross. Like it's like jelly, but gross. not jelly. But it's like a spread that you put on bread and Vegemite sandwiches. People they people eat those in Australia, and it's yeah. it's really good. It's like an acquired taste thing. Okay. All right. Uh, and who's you didn't even know about that. Who's the villain? Oh, man. I think there's a couple different villains you could go with here. Mm. I mean, I think Jonathan Brooks. I think there's two obvious ones. Jonathan Brooks, Adnay Mitchell, right? Yes. Could you argue Quinn Ewers? Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, I, I guess. I think Mitchell and Brooks were more villains, though. You could almost argue the offensive line, too. I'm going I mean, with they Brooks. opened up gigantic holes for I'm going for with Jonathan, Jonathan Brooks. Brooks. Um, that, that's my pick for villain. Could you argue the Heat? Jalen Daniels back Jaylen was Daniels the villain back. of the game. Yes, that's a good one. The Heat villain certainly. Nine million degrees. Steve Sarkeesian's Steve Sarkeesian's tracksuit. <laughs> Put that on there. I mean, that is the the garb of what a villain would wear. I mean, he looked ridiculous. Uh-huh. That man looked like a clown. I mean, it was it was bad. I hated it. I absolutely. If it, if it if if that game was a fashion show, K would have won easily. 
because Sark looked like an idiot. I, I'm going Jalen Daniels back. <laughs> I'm going. I've changed my answer. Steve Sarkeesian strikes. Okay, okay, that was the villain of the game. <laughs> Dude, he looked. Okay, did you look at him? I guess you were at the game. Did you see him at all? Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't see. Uh, you gotta go. Notice. You gotta go find like video or something. I mean, whatever. You gotta see it. Okay. It's bad. What's wrong? It's all with white. It? It's just an all white tracksuit. It just looked dumb. It looks stupid. Why would you wear a tracksuit when it's like ninety-five I, I, degrees? Dude, you're asking the you're you're spe- preaching to the choir here. I don't know. I don't know. Also, I don't know if I've ever seen a coach wear a tracksuit. I feel it like pro- it wasn't like a tracksuit tracksuit, but it was like it looked like it to me. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I see a picture of his like shirt. It's like a white pullover. Yeah, he wore like thing. yeah 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 yeah. I don't think, think that's with, fine with white pants. Okay. I and don't see the issue. Stupid sunglasses. Here. I don't see the issue. Okay. And just <laughs> why don't you just make Steve Sarkeesian the villain? He engineered this. He's turned Texas it's into more this. Funny that it's his track this juggernaut. It's not fun to play against. No, it was not fun to play against. Yeah. And hopefully, I mean, on one hand, like I don't want to say hopefully KU doesn't have to play him again because that would mean that they probably wouldn't be in the Big Twelve title game. So maybe they will play him again. But no, ideally you play him two more times. Yes. The only way that well, can happen. No, you yes. play them one more time. No, two more. Because the only literal way that you could play them two more times would be the Big Twelve Championship and the College Football Playoff. That's not true. Yes. Because if if they're in the Big Twelve title game and you beat them, you might not play them again in the playoff. I know. I'm saying hopefully you play them three times because that means that you would have to be in the playoff. No, but then no, but if you beat them, they wouldn't be in the playoff. They might be. And KU would be in the playoff. But see, what I'm saying is, if you told me you, you are playing them three times, that guarantees you're in the playoff. But they, but you, I, I don't whoever, know why you're missing out. Whichever on this. team wins in the Big Twelve title game, the losing team is probably not going to be in the, make the playoff. Oh my gosh, you are completely. <laughs> All right. I understand totally what you're saying. You're just wrong. I'm like I'm, usual. No, you're just wrong. You, you, you're not understanding. <laughs> I'm saying if you guarantee they will play them three times, you guarantee that happens. That means you played them in the playoff. I don't know why that's so hard for you to understand. All right, we're but it wouldn't happen. Out. We are taking a timeout. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You are the villain of this week. Heroes and villains on RCST. We got Lance Leipold audio. Sorry, get a new stylist man. on at KLWN. Depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter rcst1320am at gmail.com. That's rcst1320am at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, klwn.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of the day and see you next podcast.